Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I knew what I was going to do was going to be very special with my life. I'm an example just to show people that like, you come up from nothing. Prince had dedicated his whole legacy to celebrating women, celebrating women of color, and celebrating positive music. I'm going to uphold that. You're your own worst critic. I feel like you should be it anyways, but I, I'm always that, and I was just hating my song, so I was hating myself. Some people are at their cubicle job right now making way less than us. Some people are across the world in a goddamn sweatshop making like nothing a day, and we're getting paid to sing and dance. To sing and dance, that's a blessing. Artists out here, they're just willing to settle for anything. You know what I mean? And once you're willing to settle for anything, you deserve anything you settle for. Yo, this young murder. Yo, this is Lizzo. This is August Regal. What's good? It's Kehlani. This is your man, Blake Carrington. You're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. Hey, welcome to The Come Up Show podcast. My name is Chetto. I'm the host and founder of The Come Up Show. And my special guest today is Ali singer-songwriter from the city of Toronto, and her debut album, Nightshade, is out right now, and it's fire! I need you to take a listen to her album wherever you get your music. We talked about what it's like to work on something for two years and finally put it out to the world. She explained what the divine feminine is, her lowest point on this journey, and what is inspiring her, and so much more. Ali on the Come Up Show podcast, let's go! Please introduce yourself. My name is Ali. I'm a singer-songwriter from Toronto, and uh, I just put out an album called Nightshade. Ali to the Come Up Show podcast. Thank you so much. And how does it feel? Like, what's the love? What's the feedback like on the album, your debut album, Nightshade, being out? It's actually been crazy. Like, you never know what to expect when you put out a song or a project. And it's been incredible. Like, the response has just been, you know, already surpassed, like, mm. everything that I had in mind. And it's been full of surprises. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had a, you've been working on this for two years? I've been working on it for two years. Yeah. Yep, on and off. Like, I, I was working on... I was working on a bunch of stuff and I didn't really know exactly where it was all going to land. So when I when I put out my my second EP Moonlust, I was working on those songs, but I was also working on on a bunch of these songs as well at the time. And Moonlust ended up kind of being like the songs that I felt didn't fit with where I was going for Nightshade. Um, and Nightshade was still just like kind of a seed in my mind. Like it was really just mm-hmm. starting to develop. Um, so I decided to put out Moonlust first, to put out an EP because I knew that this project was going to take me a while mm. to get. And I wonder what that feeling is like because I was thinking about, you know, if 
if we go back to say school, if you've been working on a big project or an essay or that you've been working on for months, and once you're done, you're like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. But this is your album, your debut album that you've been working on, as you said, two years on and off. So when you finally submitted it and you submitted this project, what is what was that feeling like? <laughs> that moment? It felt. It felt amazing. It was definitely hard to let go. Like I basically had to have it ripped from my hands because mm, from the I team. Yeah, yeah, by the team. Yeah, bless my team. <laughs> They're amazing. Yeah. Um, but I would have just kept working on it. Like I could have kept working on it for like another year, maybe. Wow. Um. So I'm really happy that I had people around me to just be like, you know what, this is good so is that is that so yeah like i want to know because yeah because since you're in the your own artist you're an artist or you're uh you're independent artist or i'm an independent so Mm -hmm. that means that you know there is no big deadline in terms of like Mm -hmm. you you can always push it forward i mean push it past like that deadline so uh what what is it that is just the management or who what are the the people who are the people that you know you trust when they say, hey, this is done, you're like, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, the deadline just, it definitely got pushed back a bunch. I was supposed to finish in the fall of 2016. And um, it just kind of kept getting pushed back. I kept writing more stuff and feeling like I was getting closer and closer to like the vision. I knew that I, want, I wanted it to be 10 tracks. Um, I knew that I wanted it to be really cohesive all the way through, even though I was working with a lot of different producers. So it was just a process and I didn't want to rush it. Like I, I refused to rush it. Um, but my managers, um, Nate and Shay, they're incredible people and they were super patient with me. But yeah, I got to the point where we were just like they knew I was ready you know I knew I was ready it was just a matter of me being a perfectionist and all of these little Mm. tiny details um and and we were ready you know so we just finally set that hard deadline and we were like this is when it's going in to get mixed Mm -hmm. and that was like okay I need to be just done by that point mm-hmm. and uh producers speaking of producers i don't uh, i don't think he worked on this eloquent did not was not a producer on this album right no not but he time. tweeted that i feel like a <laughs> proud father watching his only daughter graduate as valedictorian oh man uh, <laughs> what, what's your connection to sona eloquent as people know him um, Sona is such a good friend of mine. Like I love him so much. He was almost like a mentor to me because when I released my first single, he reached out to me right away and we kind of knew each other like from the beat scene or whatever, but he didn't really know that I sang until my first single came out. He hit me up and I was like, would you remix it? Thinking that like, he's not going to say yes, but he did. And then he threw me the beat for interference and I was like freaking out. Um, he was like, you have three days. I got to send everything in for mastering in three days. So like if you can for do his something for his project, yeah, yeah. um, if you can do something in three days, then mm. you'll be on the album. And I was just like, oh my gosh, because I've been a fan of his. I had been a fan of his for years at that point. Um, and I did it. I just threw it up together really quickly. Like interference was basically a freestyle and mm. that's how our relationship started. I wonder what that is like in terms of having three days. That is the, that pressure compared to, you know, how you said you've been working on two years and kept pushing back, but now three days and now you got to do it. What's, what's that like? I actually really like that type of pressure, even though 
you know, like I don't like to be rushed, but sometimes if you have a deadline, it just forces you to do something. And then whatever you're able to do in that timeline is what it is. Mm. Mm. You're, you're forced to be creative right mm. away. Yeah. And uh, regarding Eloquent, you said whenever you feel, whenever you write on his beats, you feel like you're writing a diary entry. Yeah. What is it about his beats or that you can be vulnerable like that? I don't know. Like every time he sent me a beat, first of all, every beat that he has sent to me, I have recorded on and put out. Wow. Yes. So I'm not sitting on any Sona beats. Let's just be clear. Wow. <laughs> Sona sent me some beats. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, his his stuff inspires me to write kind of like poetry type of songs and I think on every song we've done together, I haven't had any choruses. Like, they've been super freeform, freeform um, which just happened naturally. Like, I'm, I work from a place that's very intuitive, and I, I try not to um, force things or question it too much. And especially at that time, I was working with a lot less structure. Like, I just loved the idea of not writing songs in that traditional song structure mm-hmm. um for this new project i was a little more focused on writing strong choruses um for for most of the songs which was a cool um why, why is that i just i i just felt inclined to do it for this um i felt like the production was asking for it in a way mm. and i wanted to challenge myself in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I would like for you to, to, to describe the aesthetics of this album visually, the artwork, you know, uh, this isn't, we're audio, this is a podcast. So what, is the, <laughs> what does it look like, yeah. uh, the album artwork, and, uh, and what was the thought process behind it, and what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so Young Yemi did all the artwork. Who was that, project. sorry? Young Yemi. Young Yemi, mm-hmm. okay. Who is Sotio. Okay. Yeah. So we call him Young Yemi. He's going by Young Young okay. Yemi is like his alter ego. Is this new re- recently or yeah? Okay. It's pretty new. Because I know him as Ademi. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. But now it's Young Yemi. I like Young Yemi. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, we we kind of just started putting mood boards together, and um, I had you know I was really inspired by this idea of feminine divinity while I was making the project and I was meditating on that a lot and um, and just trying to kind of conjure this like goddess energy and so we started thinking about that like what would that look like as a visual what would that look like if we turned me into you know this kind of goddess type character mm-hmm. um, and that's that's kind of how it started and then all the collage elements came into play um, you know I, I wanted to have certain elements in there like I'm a cancer so we had the two crabs in there and then um, I feel very connected to like shelled animals so <laughs> crabs mm-hmm. turtles there's like a little turtle um, the crystals like I always have crystals around me while I'm recording so there was a lot of like personal elements in there and then I I built like the the crown and um just bought like all of that jewelry in chinatown basically and like layered it together to create that whole look mm. um so, so you actually bought like it's not all like an animation piece, or made up no. in photoshop it's everything yeah. that i was wearing mm-hmm. i like put together mm-hmm. um 
And then everything behind, and we did a photo shoot of just that. Um, like with the white backdrop and then everything behind me is collaged in, in Photoshop. And his process is super crazy because he he puts there's almost like a hundred layers in Photoshop on that cover. Wow. And so he does all the layers and then he goes back in and shades them each individually. So that's why it looks like so seamless. Um, but it was incredible to watch. Mm. Shout out Young Yummy. Shout I, out Young I'm, Yummy. I'm so happy I have a new name for him now. <laughs> you know, when you get a new yeah. nickname, you're like, yo, I like this. I'm going to call you that now. Because sometimes I'm like, I don't know if to call him Sotio or Ademi because he introduces himself to Ademi, but Young Yummy. All right. This is too inside joke uh, for the people who are listening. <laughs> so you, you've uh, said divine feminine or f- feminine divine is the same thing. Like, yeah. what is that? What is divine feminine? Um, I think it's... Um, you know, I feel like every woman has this goddess energy inside of her and we're not really we can become kind of disconnected from that in the society that we live in. You know, like we're still out here fighting for equality. We're still fighting for gender equality. We're still fighting to be paid the same as men. You know, mm. there's so much that we're still working towards as women. And I think that, um, you know, a starting point for that is to really like honor this divinity that is woman. And I think you you were saying that you're in touch with your masculine qualities, but not, you want to dive into the feminine. Mm-hmm. So what are like, what is an example of a masculine quality? Um, I mean, I meant that in the sense that I think everyone has both masculine and feminine qualities within them. You know, we we think of we think of the feminine, we think of, you know, mother earth, we think of something maybe a bit softer, something more gentle. Um and then masculine, we think of like harder, stronger. Um it's not that as a woman, I don't contain those qualities as well. I mm-hmm. think it's just kind of what society has, how we've been conditioned by society to, you know, play these gender roles. And um, I feel pretty connected to to both the masculine and feminine in me. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's an important part of, like, just being a balanced human. She's supernatural and they couldn't understand They made her out to beat the downfall A man they put chains on her They play shame on her touch with the feminine or the like both sides like I, I guess you said you you felt like the feminine was the uh, squash inside you and mm-hmm. in you and you wanted to explore that or go deeper into that yeah how do you do that um I feel like through meditation that's been really helpful to me um through like focused meditation through writing um through exploring some of the ways that I feel I've been repressed mm. um, as a woman. Um, yeah, lots of different things. You worked on the album a lot on your own, like in your own space, and you learned that you were capable of like 
shaping your sound. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I recorded and arranged and edited all the vocals, almost all the vocals in my home studio. Mm. And um, it was such a process. Like, it was such a learning experience. Mm. Um, And I did a lot of the... I did a lot of the same process for my last EP, Moonlist. Um, but this time I just got like way deeper into it and really like found a passion for the engineering side of things, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool. It was just like I felt like I had so much more control over um, how I wanted things to sound and really learning like so much more about mixing my vocals and and all the levels and like um, the effects that I I wanted and and when I handed it off to be mixed by Jay Jay Dufour mixed um a bunch of the project and I ended up sitting in with him on a bunch of those sessions and like learning so much from him he just won the Juno um this year for engineer engineer of the year wow um so just to like sit in with him and watch him mix was like such an amazing experience Mm -hmm. um and yeah, it just made me feel like a lot more in control. And what, how do you like that control? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I feel like, um, you know, there's there's still like this imbalance in the music industry in terms of producers and engineers being like... Very, All male. Yeah, it's yeah. very dominated by, yeah. by men. So mm-hmm. it's important to me right now to just like learn as much as I can and really like get more hands-on like I still have so much to learn but I love that I can you know get in there and like and find this passion for for this other side of it that mm. I didn't know that I really had yeah so uh can you tell me about the how did you you must have been frustrated throughout that process in terms of when you're when you're editing your own stuff because we all when we all try mm-hmm. to learn new things yeah there's that learning curve and you're like, oh my God, I can't figure this out where you're Googling something and it doesn't even yeah. exist. Like, can you I'm, tell me, take me through that process? I'm so not a tech person. Let me just say that like yeah. straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that's inspiring to other people because mm-hmm. like I, I, I'm I'm just like not a tech person whatsoever, but I really force myself to just like sit and yeah, I watch mad YouTube videos, like just being like, how do I... You know, how do I pitch this? How do I um, how do I find the sound that I'm looking for? And uh, that's kind of how you do it, like trial and error and just using my ears to be like, I know that my ears know what's good. Mm -hmm. So to really just like trust my ears and then ask for help. Hmm. Like trust my ears. So many amazing producers around me that are willing to help me. So I asked for help when I needed help. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Are we like spoiled in this city in terms of the producers that we got in Toronto of a caliber oh of producers? Gosh. We are spoiled. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. That's crazy. I felt spoiled on this project for sure. Yeah. Um it was amazing. I mean like Yeah, I felt super honored that um all of these people were down to work. Um and it was a really it felt like I mean, everybody on the project I'm friends with in real life. Um, so it just felt really, like, genuine and, and, and chill. And, like, yeah, it was, it was such a great process. Hmm. Okay, so we got to go back into your time in history because we, we asked this 
to everybody. So where are you from in the city? Is it a west side thing? Is it an east side thing? Is it a downtown <laughs> thing? Where are you from? I grew up around Sinclair and Oakwood. Okay. Mm-hmm. Toronto. Toronto. Okay. Mm-hmm. Toronto. And tell yeah. me about your upbringing, like your family makeup. What was it like uh-huh. uh, growing up in your household, siblings, and how that led to music? Um, well, my dad's a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he is a reggae musician. So I grew up around a lot of reggae. Um, and him and his band would just be like playing in my grandma's basement, you know, all the time. Um, I was just surrounded by music from such a young age and it was like not a, it was just like always so embedded into our, our life. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was on tour a lot for like the first 10 years of my life. Um, my grandpa plays the banjo and the fiddle so that was like a whole other vibe (laughs) of like Mm. more folky music um with my grandparents and yeah they were all just music lovers you know like I was exposed to a lot of different styles from a very young age and um yeah and how did you interact with all this music happening in the house like what did you do did you care did you were you captivated were you like ah this is just normal I loved it yeah I loved it like it felt normal to me but, um, you know, I knew that I I had a passion for it from a pretty young age. And I started singing probably... Uh, I've been singing forever, but I was just really, really shy about it. Like, I, I never wanted to sing in front of anyone. Even my family, like, my family had to kind of, like, force me to... They'd hear me singing, like, in my room or, like, in the shower, and they'd be like why don't you sing in front of us, you know? Um, so they were always really trying to encourage me to like get over that and just mm. let it out. Why do you think that was? Was it because all the caliber of musicians that you're seeing, maybe you felt like you weren't ready or? For sure, for sure. Yeah, I think being surrounded by musicians and my dad was very like, he was like, if you're going to be a musician, then you need to do it. Like you need to do it right. So it felt like a lot of pressure. And I was mm. like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't want to be like you. And I was like into all of these other things. I was really into gymnastics. Like I was a competitive gymnast for 10 years and um, into dance and just like other things. Mm. So I really didn't think music was going to be what I landed on. And when did you land on music or start to take it seriously? I started... I started just kind of like going to jams and going to open mics and stuff um, when I was living in Montreal. And uh, that was really just out of like, I just wanted something to do. I started taking vocal lessons and that helped me get over my fear of it. And I really, I went into vocal lessons just being like, I just want to have the courage I want this to give me the courage to be able to just like sing in front of people that I know, like friends and family. Like never did I think that it was going to turn into what it has turned into. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it just started from a really simple kind of, you know, just wanted to explore it. And uh, it felt really good. And then it just kind Mm -hmm. of took on a life of its own. So those vocal lessons, what you felt like it gave you the confidence to say, okay, I'm actually going to. I'm knowing I know what I'm doing or yeah right, just going yeah. in and singing my first vocal coach Amy um I'm gonna shout her out because she was awesome and just going in and singing for her once a week was enough to you know and get that get that feedback from her I think to just have one person even tell you like you have something special it it really 
meant something to me mm-hmm. and that, that gave me like and was it different uh, that Amy maybe wasn't a family member like a f- definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> to have an outside source be like you know what you just need to get over this because you need to share this and mm-hmm. I think that I really I needed to hear that and what did you go to Montreal for like school or I was like at school yeah oh good like uh Univer- like post-secondary mm-hmm. oh, okay and now what was that like in terms of Montreal compared to Toronto mm, I love yeah. Montreal so yeah. much um I definitely fell in love with that city but I mean Toronto Montreal just so different like I feel like Montreal is like I always say Montreal is like my lover and Toronto is like my husband you know it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> I just yeah I had mm. like a love affair with Montreal, but I will forever be a Toronto hmm. lady. And speaking of Toronto and the Toronto sound, you said that you don't necessarily feel like you fit into the Toronto sound. Yeah. First, how would you describe the Toronto sound? Well, you know what? Like, I feel like Toronto sound, what I think of when people say that is more like this trappy um moody like very dark r&b vibe um so when i say that i don't fit with that that's what i'm talking about mm-hmm. um it's not that i don't like that music i'm into it but mm-hmm. i think that what i'm doing is definitely a little bit different than that um and how would you describe it what you're doing compared to what the Toronto sound is i think I'm trying to do something that's like feels organic to me and um that is that is just like vulnerable and just really honest Just cuz I'm alone and don't mean that I'm lonely you can tell the phone number what you told me I've been on my own since I was back in no three So I know I wish I could have known me Half a way to promise it's a melancholy Then you came around and let you ever know me But also the sound, the, like the 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 sonic, is also kind of different, right? Mm-hmm, like, uh, for sure. Can you Definitely describe more groove based? Yeah. You know, um, I love to try to incorporate like live instrumentation in there when I can. Like No Forever has live drums on it. Um, Cole, The Count, and Second Son, and Harry, and River Tiber. You know, like they all love to have those live elements as much as they like the electronic sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like that mashup aesthetic of um, of both those things, like kind of analog and digital. Hmm. You mentioned uh, River Tiber. You also have Charlotte Day Wilson on this project as well, too. Yeah. Some of the premier artists from this city, you know, and we have the Daniel Caesars or whatever. What does it feel like to be an artist from, from Toronto right now? And when you look around... It feels amazing. Like it feels like something really special special is happening right now. And I think everyone is 
tuning into that, like everyone's recognizing it. And I think Toronto has had, you know, I think we've had a history of maybe not recognizing our own talent until it pops off elsewhere. Mm. So it's really cool to see people just like really embracing Toronto talent right now Mm -hmm. in a way that feels, it does feel new. It feels like it's being embraced in, in a new way. Like people don't want the rest of the world to to find out about it before we do mm. you know and so you're saying uh locally mm-hmm. the attitude is now we're giving a chance to our own artists we're going to shows we're going we're we're open-minded at least yeah open-minded and i think the support you know i see that the support is really there and i'm mm-hmm. really feeling it right now for this album um like I was saying before, I didn't know what to expect, and I feel like people are really embracing it so far. Mm-hmm. So it's only been like three days, but <laughs> I'm feeling the love. Well, is it different from what? What was the first project that you released? Uh, what four years ago? First project I released or? was Strange Creature. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's what? How many years ago? It was, was that? 2013. Yeah, 2013. So almost four mm-hmm. four years ago. Four years ago. Is there a difference from four years ago to today in terms of the feedback, reaction, and what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <That's dumb. laughs> um, yeah, for sure. I feel like when I put out Strange Creature, I honestly, I had no... Am I allowed to swear? On yes, you can. Okay. It's a podcast. No yeah. fucking idea yeah. what I was doing um, in a good way, you know? Like, I, I didn't have any concept of, like, a scene or anything like that. Like, I was just like, I made the music with Second Son. We literally finished it the day before we put it out. Um, and that was it. You know, we sent it out to to some blogs and um, I was completely, like, blown away at that time by the response that that got. Like, I had zero expectations for that. Mm. Um, even though I loved the project, but I just had no expectations whatsoever, which was a really cool place to be. Like now when I look back on that, I'm like, oh, that was a good time. You know, that was a good time in my life. Especially when you have no expectations. Yeah, because yeah. then it's just like anything that happened was like incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think with Moonlust, I was in, I was going through a phase where I was just like, I felt really kind of beaten down by like, I had been going through a lot of writer's block over that 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 year before I put out Moonlust and I was just feeling kind of beaten down by like everything that I was going through in my life and um, it was like a really tough year so it was a very different energy going into that project than Strange Creature like I didn't even want to put it out pretty much um, and I put it out because I was just like I have to do this for myself like I have to do this so that I can just move on basically um and it was super therapeutic to put that out and for that to get the response that it got and Mm -hmm. that really just gave me the energy and the push to like keep going to feel like people really did want to hear more of what I had Mm -hmm. in me well yeah because when you feel like you put something out and you receive that love Mm -hmm. it's it 
it fills you up basically, right? Like you're just receiving and you're like, wow, okay, people care and, mm-hmm. and I, I matter. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely had more expectations for that project for sure because of everything that had happened over the, you know, two years previous to that. Um, so that was hard because, mm-hmm. you know, Strange Creature, I was just like, oh, whatever. And then with that one, I was like, I really want this to have some kind of impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, but it was a very, like, I needed to make that project. Like, I needed to put that out to just to just move on to Nightshade. So is that when you were making Mulas, that's the ty- same time that you went to L.A.? Is that around the same time period? You went to L.A., I think, for, what, six months? And you went through writer's block? And yeah. is that the same yeah, period? Yeah, yeah. I was out in L.A. Yeah. I was only out there for, like, a month and a half, oh, okay. I think. Yeah. Um, but... That was just like, it was a tough trip, you know, like, um, that was my first time out in LA and I, yeah, I'll just say that it was a tough trip (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, uh, I came back feeling very kind of depleted and I'd gone out there to like write and make stuff and I really pretty much came back with nothing. Mm. Um, so that was tough and I had to just spend the next six months or so, actually finishing what I intended to do in Mm -hmm. LA um and it was hard like I was going I was struggling with depression I had a lot of anxiety um about everything at the time and so that made me just turn really inward um and become like very introverted and I kind of cut myself off a little bit um which now that I look back I can see that I kind of had to do that to go through a healing process but it was it was a hard time Mm-hmm. So, so I, I can imagine like, uh, you know, your first time going in L.A., you're a Toronto artist, you're going to L.A. And you might have you might be excited. Yo, I'm going to L.A. I'm mm-hmm. going, you know, especially as Torontonians, like when we, you know, always hear leave the city, leave, leave the city in L.A., 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 L.A. <laughs> so you're like, oh, L.A., I'm going to right, I'm going to do all these things. Da, 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 but nothing came of it. So you must have felt like super depressed coming back. I did. I did. And I was really questioning whether this was for me and whether this is really what I wanted to do. And and then when I came back, it's like that's when everything kind of came out. That's when I wrote like Yemi's song. And I was talking about um, I was talking about that trip. Like there's there's a line that says, um, all my poetry ran away from me, became a shadow of what I'm meant to be. And that was about that trip and kind of feeling like lost out there. And I said, West Hollywood, where the fuck have I gone? Smoking Barry White from dusk till dawn. I was just like smoking weed all day and like in a total fog and just like not, you know, not in a productive place, not in a happy place. So, but it was great because then I got to write that music when I came back and just release that. And that's why I really needed to put that out because making those songs afterwards, that was like therapy for me. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing I definitely hear in common from all the artists that I interviewed that music is therapy. Yes. It's a healing mechanism. Yes. Uh, what is it about music that is therapy? <laughs> why is it so therapeutic? What, what is it? Um, I think sound can be really he- healing, you know? Um, sound is like, it's vibrations. Um, and everything is vibrations. 
So everything is working on these different frequencies. And if we tap into cer- certain frequencies, they can be super healing. So that's what music is. Um, you know, it's all vibrations and it's just, it's just tapping into that. And it has like, it, it has pretty profound healing effects. Mm. Do you feel like sometimes you could express yourself better through music than maybe anything, any other like talking to something about it? Oh, definitely, definitely. I find talking um, a lot more difficult. <laughs> talking about the music is a lot more difficult than just like, you know, doing it. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Hmm. Uh, so uh, going back to, you know, that we're talking about the excitement about the city, the attention that there is and all that type of stuff and the world's paying attention, the city's paying attention, all this great, you know, energy is happening. But what what still needs to happen or change for us for to go to the next level? Or what are the things that is still not moving or there's no progress in that you feel like needs to? In Toronto? In Toronto, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I feel like, I mean, I, I was talking about this for the interview that I just did with Now Magazine. But um, the, all the venues that are closing, you know, like... Venues just keep shutting down. I feel like every week there's an, I think, studio bar just shut down last really? week. Really? Yeah. Whoa. And it's a lot of these venues that, like, a lot of us on the kind of more DIY scene really rely on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's tough. I mean, I feel like basically the infrastructure here is just, like, kind of not strong enough right now to support the amount of talent that is in Toronto. Um and for it to be this real like music city that that we want it to be, um, so I think that we gotta we just gotta find ways to like actually support, and we need places to play. Like we need venues, and we need we need smaller venues. Like we can't it can't just be these you know these one thousand two thousand people maybe yeah. two hundred or three hundred. Yeah, we need yeah. the smaller venues for the. Uh, for the up and coming artists and I think just more support in general so that people don't feel that they have to go to the States or they have to go to Europe, um, which I think you do, you do still need to leave right now um, in order to like, you can't just sustain yourself as a musician in Toronto. At least I've had trouble with that. So mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, we need to work on that. What are some other things that you would like to, to change or to, to see for it progress? Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be even Toronto. It could be can- Canadian. Yeah, Canada. yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, um, female representation is is a big one. And um, you know, there's a lot of there was a lot of conversation this year around the Junos. You know, not a lot of women were nominated. Um, and I think that's just like something that everyone in the industry needs to focus on, like not just here, not just in Toronto, not just in Canada, just like worldwide. Everyone needs to focus on female representation in music because we know that the music industry is very male dominated and we know that a lot of the people that are in positions of power are men. Mm -hmm. Um, So... We need to kind of work together to find more of a balance with that. Um, and also with festivals, you know, with bookings, like book more female artists. Like there's so many of us and it's not a good excuse to just be like, oh, I couldn't find any. Like 
No. Mm. <laughs> There's so many. Do you feel like the attitudes uh, with that is changing, not only with females, but also people of color as well, too? And like, because you see, like, say, the these newspaper articles where, like, you know, the people in control, whatever, and it could be a company or whatever, are not. There's no diversity there at all, and people are like, "What's going on here?" Mm-hmm, do you mm-hmm. see, do you notice that or? Yeah, or, I think that's yeah, been a really yeah. key. Yeah. That's been such a key topic of like 2016 and 2017. You know, representation um, in all forms, like whether it's um, you know representing people of color or making sure that women are represented. You know, just making sure that. Um, all of these people are represented is super mm-hmm. important. And I think as people of color, we want to see ourselves, you know, we want to see ourselves in movies. We want to see ourselves on TV, in commercials. Like we need to see ourselves in all of these spaces that have been very white centric and white dominated. And I think that shift is happening now. So just got to keep pushing that forward. What value do you think that, uh, you know, diversity brings or people of color or women bring to the table to whatever it may be? Well, we just got, we got our own thing going on, you know, we got our own flavor, we have our own culture. Um, And I think it's like such a beautiful time right now where like people are really being encouraged to celebrate their culture and celebrate their differences and celebrate things that we've, maybe been made to feel ashamed of um like I know when I was growing up I was definitely you know like I definitely struggled with just like my hair and like you know my appearance the way that I looked kind of like um wanting to fit into these Eurocentric standards of beauty and it took me a really long time to realize that like I'm good Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I'm good the way that I am I don't I don't need to um do all that what was the first example or women or some something that you saw that made you say, I'm good? Mm. Um, I think like when I started to get into um, like artists like Erica Badu and Lauren Hill, just like these really rootsy women who are just like owning it. And I was like, damn, they're so beautiful. Like I, you know, I want to be like that. I am like that. Um, And when I started to grow my hair out natural, that was like a big moment for me. I honestly didn't even know what my hair looked like at that point. Like I'd been relaxing it for 10 years since I was like eight years old. And your hair changes in texture from when you're a kid. Um, So when it grew out, I was like, what? Like I had no idea that it even looked like that. Hmm. Um, And that was kind of like a big moment for me to just like, embrace myself and 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 learn to to love something that I had really like hated for a long time hmm. yeah it's there's so much education happening right now and, and <laughs> it's a lot and a lot of yeah and a lot of people ignorant people are being checked right now as well too <laughs> left and right <laughs> it's like overwhelming but and it's like you know there's so many moments where I'm like is this a teaching moment like do I need to like say something right now? Because that's also a very tough thing as a person of color. Sometimes you don't want, you know, all day, every day for that to be a responsibility to like be teaching ignorant people, um, teaching them shit. So it's like picking those moments when you're like, okay, I need to say something and letting certain things roll off and just like, you got to go with what feels right for Mm. you. 
it's dra- it can be draining. It can be very draining, and yeah. I think everything that we're seeing too in the media is is very draining to like see these videos um, that are just running like on autoplay when you go yeah. on social media of this really graphic violence. Like you know, I felt like I had to just like cut myself off for a bit from social media because yeah. I felt like. I I was just like breaking down in the middle of the day, like watching, you know, random videos that were just popping up on my feed. And like, as much as it's important to know what's going on, we also have to kind of protect ourselves and say, if you don't want to watch somebody, you know, if you don't want to watch that graphic violence today, then that's okay too, you know? Yeah, I'm I, I'm thinking about these exact same things because you know maybe say a few years ago when this started to become new when you were seeing these videos for the first time and hearing about all these cases you're like very emotionally involved in it mm. but now the stats are every 23 hours it's happening yeah and we don't want to be you know the last thing that we want to be is desensitized you know we don't want to be we don't want to be watching people being killed in the street and it doesn't we don't feel anything anymore. So I think it's definitely a balance of like, you know, pick and choose what you want to watch and, mm-hmm. and what you feel like you can personally handle, um, especially as a person of color. Mm-hmm. Because I remember there's this one video and there's been so many videos over the last couple of years. There's one video somewhere in the States of this cop um, like dragging this black girl she was wearing a bathing suit it was like a pool yeah party. in the front line yeah and he slammed her into the ground and he was dragging her and like i mean she's wearing a bikini it's pretty obvious that she's you know unarmed mm. she's a teenager mm-hmm. and i just i probably cried for like 45 minutes straight and i was like bawling because it was one of those moments where i just saw so clearly in that moment how much um, a black woman's life could be devalued. And I tried to imagine that happening to a 15-year-old white girl, and I just couldn't imagine it. Like, it's just incomprehensible, you know? Like, heads would roll if that happened to a 15-year-old white girl. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I think it's important to have those moments sometimes for shit to really sink in, but to also, like, just protect yourself and say, okay, today I'm going to maybe not look at the internet and I'm, I'm just not going to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to take that time to like have some healing and have some self care and, and then figure out, you know, how I can positively contribute to this world because it's pretty fucked up right now. Yeah, I was thinking about that because you are an artist. You have power, you have a platform you have fans. I wonder, like, what is like, what are the thoughts that you go through when you see something like that? Do you feel sometimes like, hey, should I make a song about this, or is it mm-hmm. no, I shouldn't do? Like, what, what do you go through any of these thoughts at all, or no? For sure, yeah. for sure. Like, I feel like I'm still really trying to figure that out as an artist in mm-hmm. terms of like my social responsibility and what, um, how you know, I want to approach it and what I want to talk about, and I'm, I'm really just like figuring that out now um i have written certain songs that i haven't put out yet maybe they'll come out um that address some of those topics but um 
but yeah, I think that that's also just like a really personal process to go through and it has to be, has to be right. Like it has to be genuine to you. You don't mm-hmm. want to force it, but, um, I definitely feel like a responsibility towards it and I'm definitely trying to talk about it a lot more, mm-hmm. um, you know, just while I'm doing press. With yeah, that's true. The music's not the only way that you have your power, your voice, obviously there's for sure. Plenty of platforms, whether you're speaking about it in an interview or on a panel or social media, mm-hmm. so on and, and so And also forth. to speak about it with, you know, speak about it with the people that are close to you to start and to just kind of like, there's been a lot of times where I'm just, you know, with my friends and, and we're, we're having that conversation. And I think that's equally as important to just like get in there with the people that you care about and that you love and to just check and be like, you know, how are you doing? Are you okay? Because this is, this is, um, it's a tough time and a lot of people are going through, hmm. through a lot. What's up, guys? If you don't already know about Way Home, it's happening July 28th to the 30th, featuring Frank Ocean, Solange, Schoolboy Q, Russ, Danny Brown, Jazz Cartier, No Name, and so much more. Tickets and camping are now available at wayhome.com. Make sure you subscribe to our email newsletter as well, too, for more information with Way Home Festival. Ali, what are, what are the sacrifices that you've made to pursue uh, music to be on this creative journey that you're on right now? Mm. Um, I feel like I haven't sacrificed, you know, it's given me so much that it's hard to think of it as a sacrifice, really, or to think of things as a sacrifice. Like, um, I guess I sacrifice like a normal life because <laughs> the artist life is not a normal life, but I never really thought I was going to live a normal life. So, even that just doesn't feel like, you know, I never thought I was going to to be able to live that nine to five life. Um, I always knew that that wasn't for me. And I've always known that I was artistically, you know, inclined. So mm. it's really just been about I think it would be a much bigger sacrifice for me to not do this than to do mm. it. It's just so natural. It's just the way you are. Whatever struggles that come be with being an artist is mm. just like. And the healing aspect of it, like for somebody like me who are like, I have struggled with depression for, for a huge chunk of my life. And like, I don't think that that's something that that's something that like so many artists struggle with. And I think a lot more people are talking about it now, which is amazing. Um, But, you know, just to have this be a part of my healing process has been um, music has been one of the most healing aspects of my life and I don't even necessarily need to understand why I just need to know that it is Mm. and I just need to do it um I need to create and I need to I need to dance and I need to sing and I need to do all of these things to remain a happy balanced person Mm -hmm. so and I think with something like depression it's like I feel like a genuinely happy person like I'm I'm happy right now. I'm happy to be here. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's something that if you've experienced it, it doesn't necessarily leave you. It's just that you find coping mechanisms. Um, and that's what I had to do. I just found a lot of coping mechanisms. Um, and some days it's just like drink a lot of water and, you know, take a shower and eat some healthy food and that's kind of that's like a win for the day 
Mm. Um, and those are, those are like the harder days, but then yeah, like meditation, um, writing, you know, all of these things are like things that I need to do in order to stay balanced. And I know that about myself now. So, and that was through like so much trial and error and so much of it, um, holding me back to the point where it was like, I need to figure this shit out or else I'm, I'm just not going to be able to achieve the things that I want to achieve. Hmm. What would, would you say, like when did it start happening? Was it because the, pres- the depression was happening because of your creative life or like way no, earlier than that? Way no, that. it was like much yeah. earlier, like all through high school. Mm-hmm. That was probably the worst um, time for me. And, you know, I, I was just like, I was super insecure and I didn't know, I really didn't know how to deal with it at that point. Like I hadn't started meditating yet. I hadn't found these things that um, ended up being super helpful to me. So at that time I was like on medication and the medication made me feel very numb, which was like worse to me than feeling everything that I was feeling because I just felt nothing and as an artist that's like the fucking worst feeling because you can't create if you're feeling nothing like at least if you're sad like you can write a song about it but if you feel nothing then that that was felt fucked up to me so medication wasn't for me I think it's it's amazing for other people it works you know whatever works for you Um, But it wasn't for me. So I found um, meditation and exercise and changing my diet and really finding like a disciplined practice with my creative life was the thing that Mm -hmm. like gave me, you know, made me able to just be happy. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that you have to protect your health, your mental and physical and spiritual health to make sure uh, that uh, you don't go back into that. Mm-hmm. Get mm-hmm. get down again. For sure, my, it's probably gonna happen in terms of like you know, we always have ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. But mm-hmm. like you really gotta take care of yourself. Definitely, and like even last fall, I was kind of like when I was trying to finish the album, I started to kind of slip down a little bit. You know, not it. It wasn't anywhere near what I've experienced in the past. But I now I know what like that looks like, so I kind of mm-hmm. see it coming. And I I remember watching this um, talk. And the guy that was doing the talk said, he said, the opposite of depression is not happiness. The opposite of depression is vitality. And that was something that just like stuck with me so much because I was like, I need to get my vitality back. Like, it's not just like, it's not just about being happy all the time. I don't even want to be happy all the time. Like, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. It's like beautiful things can come out of that space as well. So it's like honoring all of those emotions and all of those spaces like even the dark spaces because a lot of beauty comes out of the dark spaces for sure um but also just like thinking about it more in terms of like that vitality and how do I get that energy whether it's like drink lots of water listen to the music you love um eat good food exercise you know go for a run dance whatever have sex Mm -hmm. whatever like whatever makes you feel um like vitally alive and you can feel super alive um when you're sad and you can feel super alive um 
when you're happy and everywhere in between. But it's more now, I think, about feeling that um, that vitality for me. Mm. The, the opposite of depression is not happiness, it's vitality. Yes. Dope. And what is inspiring you, Ali, overall? It doesn't have to be music. Just what is like inspiring you right now? What's giving you life? Mm, right now? Yeah. Um, you know, for this project, I was like very inspired by nature and I continue to be very inspired by nature. Um, I had a few kind of times making this project where I just like went out to um, a cabin out of Muskoka and spent a bunch of time alone out there like brought up all my gear and was just like in nature um and by yourself by myself by myself (laughs) alone Mm. um and you ever get scared in the night when you hear like i got so scared oh my gosh (laughs) i can imagine i got so scared i was working um i had all my gear set up in this like the, there's the cottage and then there's like a bunkie on the side so I had all my gear set up in the bunkie and the bunkie is like all glass all the way around so at night you can't see outside like you can't see out into the darkness all you can see is the reflection of everything in the room Whoa! <laughs> so I'd be recording in there and you know that people then, could see through yeah, to you yeah yeah I'm like somebody might just be standing on the other side I don't know with an axe by the tree just standing <laughs> I was there. like if I'm gonna die I'm gonna die <laughs> oh like, there's nothing God. I can do about it oh. So, and then every time I would move, like, I would kind of catch my own reflection out of my eye and be like, ah! (laughs) It was, yeah, it was definitely ups and downs out there. But it was amazing. Like, and nature. Yeah, nature is like, it's one of my biggest inspirations. Another very healing thing for me to go out and just be in the woods and like, you know, take my shoes off and put my feet on the ground. and Especially in this concrete jungle called Toronto. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like, I love the city, but I'm definitely a nature lady. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yo, you got a crazy team, eh? Do you know that? I do. <laughs> I'm aware. Do you know your your PR Dalton shoutouts Nate and Che? Dalton. You know uh, Sotio doing your visual and your all your arts and stuff like that. Your producers like River Tiber and all these guys. Like, how are you feeling about that? Um, I feel great about it. Yeah. You know, I feel like I waited a long time to find the right people. Um, from day one, I had like amazing musicians around me, and I feel so lucky and blessed for that because I know a lot of singers who are like, I just can't find the right people to work with, you know. And I'm like, I feel like I'm the opposite of that. Like, I'm like, I have too many people. Like, I have so many people that um, that I love collaborating with. So that's definitely been a blessing. But you know. Like, I really took my time, and there was people that tried to come into the mix, and I knew that they weren't the right energy. And even though they were kind of putting flashy things in my face, I was like, mm, I feel like something's off about this. And um, I kind of learned to trust, going through some, some weird shit in the industry, like, I learned to just trust my intuition a little bit more, be like, okay, if I am feeling something is off, it's probably off. Um, and we all know that the industry is fucking mm. weird and shady and like people will say things to you and then the next day it's a different story. So I was really pretty patient looking for, you know, the right energy of the people that I wanted around me. And um, Chain Nate were just like, 
I mean, they have such amazing energy. They're both very in touch with their feminine energy as well, I would like to say. Uh-huh, <laughs> Nate, 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 you're feminine. <laughs> He's my homie. But, but that's a compliment, though. <laughs> that's a compliment. I'm joking. Uh, very in touch with their masculine as well. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that they're balanced people um, that appreciate women. And I love them mm. very much. That's really dope. Uh, Ali, I would I want to thank you for the conversation that we've been having so far. For the people who are listening right now intently throughout this whole conversation, your fans and also new people who are discovering you, what would you like to say? Um, I'd like to say thank you. Um, if you're just coming into this journey now, welcome. If you've been here since the beginning, thank you. Like, Thank you so much for fucking with me and... Um, I couldn't really do it if there wasn't people to to receive it and to listen to it. And um, it's been such a healing process for me. And I hope that people can listen to the album and and connect with, you know, the my own personal truth and that it resonates with mm. something um, that's happening in their life. You said with the first project, you had no expectations. The second one, a little bit more. What are the expectations with Nightshade? (laughs) You know what? I feel so relaxed about this project. And I've been feeling like that. And I keep keep waiting to start to feel like, oh my gosh, you know. And um, I've just felt really relaxed because I think I know that um, I'm at peace with it. And I know that I did like everything that I could do to um, make it the best that I could make it. And I also know that I'm going to make a lot more music. So Mm. I'm just so excited for people to finally get to hear it um, and for people to receive that energy. And I can't wait to everyone that's listening. Like when I do my Toronto show, I need everybody Mm. out there. I can't wait to feel um, that energy come back to me because, you know, really performing and the actual music that's where it's at i'm excited me too <laughs> <laughs> ali thank you very much thank you for this body of work thank i'm you so excited much. for you just hearing this like it gives me life like yo it sounds so great Amazing. it sounds so good and this is giving me life to to talk about it with you dope <laughs> that's ali on the come up show peace Thank you for listening to The Come Up Show. i love to know what you thought of my conversation with Ali. If this is your first time tuning in, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you may get your podcasts. And if you're new to this whole podcast thing because, you know, not everybody listens to podcasts or knows how to subscribe to it, I made a step-by-step instruction for you. You can go to thecomeupshow.com backslash podcast makes it very simple all the links there are available and i really want you to subscribe because each and every wednesday we're bringing you this type of conversation and check out all our previous podcasts from the sean leon to the skeptics to wycliff john and i know there's something there for you thank you for listening once again my name is chetto i'll see y'all next wednesday peace Peace.